Have you ever had one of those moments in life where, where you look at a situation and you say, it just doesn't make sense? Let me get the graphic up there. Where it just doesn't make sense? Uh, maybe you think that when you look at that one family that you know, the, the family that has uh, three kids and they're grown up now, and two of them are on the straight and narrow. Two of them are, are in church every Sunday. Two of them have great careers. They have families. Uh, but then there's the third child, the one that's not on the straight and narrow. He, he has gotten caught up in the drug world. And, and you look at this family and you say, the parents raised them all the exact same way. It doesn't make sense. How could this happen? Maybe you have a, a friend and she eats healthy, she works out, she watches what she takes into her body, she uh, has no history of breast cancer in her family and yet she's got stage 4 cancer and you look at the situation you say this makes no sense. Or, or maybe it's the guy you know at work. He, he's a great family man, he loves his kids, they just celebrated 20 years of marriage how could he walk out? It makes no sense. We start a series today that I'm going to be honest, makes no sense. For a couple reasons. The series is called Test Me. And we're, we're, God's inviting us to test him. And that makes no sense in and of itself because Jesus said what? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But there is one verse that God says test me in and it's about giving. And what God lays out through the course of Scripture, what he lays out about giving makes absolutely no sense to us. Today, next week, and the week after, as we look at each of these, it's going to start, and you're going to start by listening and hearing and say, this makes no sense. It makes no sense to the human logic. And yet, it makes perfect sense to God. And that's where we want to be, in God's logic. It makes no sense. So what the Jews had to be thinking around 600 B.C., 580 B.C., they were God's chosen people. God said, this land is your land. The holy land is yours. And yet in 580 B.C., what made no sense to the people? They looked out over the edge of the city walls and what did they see? Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army laying siege to the holy city of Jerusalem. For two whole years, that army lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And the people had to be thinking, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. After two years, the Babylonians broke down the walls, came in, easy war, easy battle, done over, take the people and deport them from Jerusalem all the way over to the east in Babylon with Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember some of those stories. Uh, they are over there. And as the people were leaving, as they're making this journey to Babylon, they had to be thinking, this makes no sense. We're supposed to bring the Messiah into the world. The Messiah is supposed to come into the Holy Land, up by Bethlehem, down by Bethlehem, up in Galilee. How is that going to happen when we're over here? Seventy years later, the Persians came in and took over Babylon. And that king said, go back to your lands. And so around 500 B.C., the Jews left Babylon, traveled back to Jerusalem, and as they entered the city, guess what they had to be thinking? 
This makes no sense. Because what did they see? The walls are crumbled to the ground. The temple, what used to be so prominent, so great, the, the, the prized possession of the Jews, lay in a heap of rubble. Their homes were torched and gone. The city was non-existent. And they walked in and they had to be thinking, this makes no sense. But to the people's credit, they immediately laid the foundations for an altar before the walls were even built. They laid the foundation of the altar and performed sacrifices for God. They worshipped God for bringing them back. But guess what soon happened afterwards? They lost motivation. And so God sends the prophet Haggai to the people to wake them up. Short prophet, not in height, short as in only two chapters short. But the prophet Haggai is direct, short, and to the point as God speaks through him. We're in Haggai chapter 1. Here's what we're told. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. All right, King Darius, he's uh, the king of the Persians. So he's leading them. It's in his second, or in the first day of the sixth month, in his second year of ruling. Uh, Zerubbabel is, kind, is the governor of Jerusalem right now. He's leader of the Jews from a governmental standpoint. And the high priest for the Jews is Joshua, son of Josadak. This is the history of when this message from God comes. This is a time period. Here's what God says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Here is what was going on. I mentioned that the people got in. They laid the foundations for the altar. They performed sacrifices. This is great. Let's lay deeper foundations and we'll build the temple. That was the plan. But soon the people got distracted. And they said, let's build our own homes. Why? Well, because they were living in tents. And parents can only sleep with their kids for so long because kids spin around in 360 all night long. And that gets annoying. The ground is not comfortable to sleep on. And my back is hurting. And so, you know what? Before we build the Lord's temple, let's go ahead and build our own homes and be comfortable. Then we'll build the Lord's temple. But guess what? The houses got built. And now we need to eat. We, we better get moving with our career. We better start planting crops. We, we better get the commerce up and running here. We better get the walls up. We better get established. And pretty soon, apathy set in for the people. And to the point where they were saying, it's not yet time to build the house of the Lord. The altar is fine. Look at what God says. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house, this house remains a ruin? Today, if you move into a house with wood panel in it, what's the first thing you're doing? You are ripping that thing out, right? That is not in style. But, first, but with them, this was luxury. They're living first class. 
And what are they saying? It's not yet time to build the Lord's house. My, the first of my money, the first of my time, the first of my talents, we're going to spend it on us first, and then we'll get to the Lord. And what do they do? In doing that, they continue to push the Lord off, push the Lord off until, meh, we have an altar. It's fine. Now let's take a minute just for a second. God is clearly upset about this. Why? God, God is upset that His temple is not built. But does the building really matter? Let me ask a different. Why does the building really matter? Here's why. Could they sacrifice offerings to the Lord? Yes. But they could do limited ministry with it. Guess what wasn't there? A place to burn incense to the Lord. There wasn't the back room of the temple known as the Holy of Holies. And what did God promise about the Holy of Holies? I dwell there. And so God, in the physical form of that Holy of Holies, was not dwelling with the people. There was limited ministry that could take place. Their relationship with God could only go so far, and that was sacrificing. And the people said, meh, it's okay. At least we've got an altar. They became apathetic to their relationship with God and the ministry of the Lord. And instead, they turned inward. Because that's what made sense to the people. And this is your first point. Is that our logic says, me first, God second. And that's what we see here. The people said, I'm going to worry about my house first. I'm going to worry about my things first. God will come next. And in doing that, the temple got pushed off. And you know what? It's hard to look at them and blame them. We understand perfectly this mindset. Because guess what? We have a long list of responsibilities that need to get done. We have a long list of bills that need to be paid. We have a long list of people who need us. And if we don't put those things first, we're going to be lacking, right? That's what the people's mindset is. And so we have this same me first, God second attitude. And if you don't believe me, let me walk through a few scenarios and tell me if this describes you. Because it describes my sinful heart too. A me first attitude, a me first, God second attitude looks like this. In my prayer life, in my prayer life, I pray first for my health, my family's health, uh, my wealth, my career, uh, for the needs that I have physically. And then if I have time and the energy and the focus, then I'll pray about confession and my relationship with Jesus and my family who doesn't, don't know Jesus and the ministry of the church. If I have time for that, then I'll get to that. But first I'm going to pray for my physical needs. That's a me first, God second attitude. Me first, God second attitude looks like this. I get my paycheck. I pay my bills, I spend my entertainment money, and then whatever I have left goes to God. Even a, I pay my bills, and then I give to God, is a me first, God second attitude. A me first, God second attitude looks like this. I look at my schedule in the week, I schedule work, I schedule play, I schedule where the kids need to go, 
And then if I have any time left over, then I'll spend it in Bible study. Then I'll spend it in devotion. Then I'll go to church. But only what I have left, that, that goes to God. One more. Me first, God second attitude. God has equipped me with gifts and abilities. I'm going to use them first on what I want to do, on how I want to use them. And then if I want to, and I have the energy, then I'll spend those, those talents on God. But He'll get what is left over. This is a me first, God second attitude. And you know what? It makes sense. Because we've got a lot of things going on. There are several things pulling us in so many directions that if we don't put us first, we're going to be lacking, right? Actually, wrong. Look at what God says to the people. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. If this isn't terrifying, that, this has to be one of the most... When God comes to you and He says, give careful thought to your ways, it should stop you in your tracks and you say, uh-oh. And that's what He says to the people. Give careful thought to the, your ways. Take inventory of your life as you are living with this me, first, God, second attitude. What does your life look like? And here's how He describes the people. You've planted much. You've scattered a lot of seed. But you've harvested very little. You put on clothes. You have a lot of clothes, but you aren't keeping warm. You eat a lot, but you're never satisfied. You're never full. You drink, but you're never satisfied. You put on clothes, but are not. you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You bring in money, and, and you bring in a lot of money. But it seems to go right away. God says, give careful thought to your ways. This, look at how your life is when you're living with the me first, God second attitude. Things are going away. Why? God tells us why. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain, mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home... I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God says, Twice, give careful thought to your ways. God says, you planted much, you brought in a lot, and yet you don't have. Why? You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. You brought What you brought home, I blew away. God himself says, you're bringing a lot in. You have a lot of food. You have a lot of drink. You have a lot of clothes. You have a lot of money. I blew it away. You see, here's your second point today. God makes much into little. God makes much into 
little. Why in the world would God do that? Why? Because here's why. The most important thing for these people's lives was to know their Lord, to be passionate for their relationship with the Lord. And his, the, their passion for Him turned into apathy. It turned into, this is okay. This is all we need. We know God, but here's what's really important is all this other stuff. And God says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. All this other stuff is going to come and go. See, I blew it away. It's gone. I last forever. God will do whatever He needs to to make you come to Him, including blowing all your stuff away. And so we have to ask, us, we have to ask ourselves the same question that God asked these people. We have to consider our ways. What do our ways look like? If you aren't content, if you aren't happy, if you never seem to have enough time, if you never seem to have enough money, if, if things are coming and going, if you're never satisfied, you have to ask yourself, am I living by a me-first, God-second attitude because maybe God's blowing all my stuff away and He's trying to tell me something. Human logic says, me-first, God-second. God says, you live that way, I'm going to take much and turn it to little. Instead, God's logic is this. God first, me second. God first, me second. Did you catch what the, God told the people? Pretty much stop what you're doing, go up to the mountains, and get wood, bring it down, and build my temple. Build my temple. First, do that, then you can get on with your life. God first, me second. God first, me second. And why? Then God can take pleasure in it. He can be honored. And then their relationship with God can continue. Then they can have the incense. Then they can have the Holy of Holies and God dwells with the people. God says, God first, me second. And we look at that and say, God, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But do you know what makes even less sense? There's a situation in life, no matter what situation in life you look at, this one trumps it. The situation in life that makes absolutely no sense is that God would give His one and only Son for people like you and me. God says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we say, no, the, this is my stuff, God. Good try, but these, th this is mine. And God would give His one and only Son for people like us. That makes no sense. That He would give His one and only Son, the perfect Son of God, to come here and to endure temptation for you and me. To live every single moment of his life with a God first, him second attitude. That's unbelievable. It's even more unbelievable that God would pay to have a relationship with us. 
And he wouldn't just pay 10%. He wouldn't just pay the first fruits. He would pay 110%. As he didn't swipe a visa card, but he shed the blood of his one and only son for you and me so that we can have a relationship with him. That makes absolutely no sense. And that's why it's called grace. Undeserved love from God. We don't deserve it. God gives it to us so that our sins are forgiven, so that you know that the riches of heaven are yours because God gave 110% to you. This is unbelievable. This is the passion God has for you. A passion to have a relationship with you so badly that He opened up the treasures of heaven and gave everything He could possibly give His one and only Son for you. It's God's passion that changes our apathetic hearts to a passionate heart. When we see the love and the passion that God has for us, it changes us to be passionate about God. And we want to then give first and foremost to God. And so here's our challenge for 10 weeks. 10 weeks because after 10 weeks you can know how much this affects your life. For 10 weeks, let's give God our first fruits. What does this look like? I'm going to give you a couple ways. Actually, I'm going to take what we said earlier and just reverse it. So when it comes to your prayer life, before you pray for health, wealth, uh, security, pray first about confessing your sins, about thanking God that He sent Jesus for you. Pray for your family, your friends who don't know Jesus, who need to know Jesus. Pray for your fellow church people. Church people who come here, pray for them, that they continue to be built up in Jesus, that their faith be strengthened. Pray for the ministry that we carry out here, that we may reach more and more people who don't know their Savior, so that they come to the peace of knowing that their sins are forgiven. And then, if you have the time and the energy, pray about your health, wealth, and all those other things. When it comes to your, your paycheck, sit down, and before you look at your bills or anything, say, you know what, here's what I want to give to the Lord. I happily, cheerfully, I want to give this to the Lord because I'm so thankful for what, he de what He's done for us. And then write that check, and then pay your bills. When it comes to your time, sit down before the week starts and say, you know what, here's when I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to give the Lord this time, this time, this time, this time, and, and spend it in personal devotion. Schedule when you're coming to Bible study. Schedule church. This is your first fruits of your time to the Lord. Schedule everything else after that. And finally, God has equipped you. He's, he's given you gifts and talents and abilities. First look and say, how can I first use these for the Lord? How can I use these for the Lord? And then I'll use my talents and abilities for myself after I've done that. This is your 10-week challenge. Give your first fruits to God. And I'm going to leave you with two promises from Scripture. One from Malachi, who was a prophet at the same time that Haggai was. Here's what he said to the people. Actually, here's what God said to the people. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God, or the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. As we talk about giving first fruits, 
It makes us nervous. Will we have enough? Look what God says. When you give your first fruits to God, not 100% of it, when you just give the first part of it, what's God say? I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and you're not going to have enough room to store all the blessings that, that I give to you. And then your last promise comes from Jesus Himself. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We look at the needs that we have in life and we say, man, I don't know that I'm going to have enough. And Jesus says, if you seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness first, I promise you, all these things are going to be given to you as well. Because here's what God has the capability of doing. It's your last point. God makes little into much. Just like God makes much into little, God can take something so small, the little bit of time you have to accomplish what needs to be done, the little bit of money you have to cover all your bills, the little bit of, of uh, abilities that you have for yourself, God can multiply that. God takes little and makes it into much. This is the passion that God has for you. God wants you to be passionate for Him and He's going to continue to relentlessly pursue you with His love, with His forgiveness, to assure you of the riches of heaven that are waiting for you. And in turn, we will see as we do this, God will open up those floodgates of heaven and bless us. God be with you for the next 10 weeks and beyond as you put Him first in everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have everything under control, that You can create everything simply by speaking. And so as we step out in faith and we step out in trust, we ask that uh, as we give our first fruits in everything, that You bless us. We are trusting You. We want You to have it. We want to be passionate for You. And so we, we are putting ourselves into Your care. And we trust your promises that you will take care of us and that you will open the floodgates of heaven for us. We thank you for Jesus who gave 110% of himself that we might have the forgiveness of sins and the assurance that the eternal riches of heaven are ours. We ask you to be with us, continue to bless us, and strengthen our faith. In your name we pray. Amen.